Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. If it's your first time, we are so glad that you have chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us. My name is Nathan, and as you just saw, we are, we are in this series where we're talking about this idea clockwise, and we're in the third week of that. And it's really, we've been getting this look at our time, that whether you came into 2020 focused on 2020, or maybe you came into 2020 just trying to get through that first week, um, we all have time that we've been given. And, and so the last few weeks, we've been looking at that time, and the whole thread that runs underneath all of this is this idea that if I want to go through life wisely, I need God's eyes on my time. I need God's eyes in order to live wise is really what it boils down to. And so that first week, we actually looked through our lenses, and we looked through our eyes, and we came away with this question that we landed at, that for all the emphasis we put on our own human activity, Solomon pointed something out. King Solomon, in all his wisdom, said, but God has set eternity in our hearts. And so we came away with this question, is my time going to be defined by my human activity or the expression of eternity? And then last week, we began to look through God's lenses a little bit, and we began to look at a picture of what our lives, how they play out. And we came away with this idea that our circumstances, they really take place in, in view of the hour hand, that it moves slowly, and you have to just have the patience you have with the hour hand. But you can engage your Heavenly Father with the exact same attention that you give the minute hand. And you can know that his presence is as faithful as the second hand. Moment by moment, it's constantly there. It's constantly doing something. So today, today I actually want to teach you a prayer. And in order to teach you that prayer, I actually need everybody in here to think back a little bit, okay? I need you to think back to a time in your life when maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a relative, a babysitter, a, a caretaker at some point, took you to a store, like, the, like a candy store or maybe a toy store or a clothing store, and they stood you in front of everything and they said, pick something. Pick something. You can maybe remember a time like that. And if you can't remember that, maybe you come back to when you were trick-or-treating and somebody held out the bowl of candy and they said, pick something. Just pick something. And that's often how life feels. It feels like this blank canvas where you go, what am I supposed to do with this? Now, I've noticed there are a few people that engage that choice the same way our oldest child, Lainey, does. She goes into it and she just knows. She knows exactly what she wants. In fact, she gets really, really impatient or frustrated while her siblings are trying to decide. But she knows exactly what she wants. Then there are others who engage the time they've been given and the choice of what to do with that time, kind of like our youngest, Lincoln. He's six years old and... Um, I don't really know where he got this from. Lainey got that knowing what she wants to do from her mom, from Kara, my wife. Lincoln, we don't know where this came from, but Lincoln treats that choice, especially in the candy store, as if he has an unlimited supply of it. Because what will happen is we'll come home and he picked a Hershey bar and there's one bite and it was like he just was like, that's good. And I mean, I actually found it on top of the dryer while it was running. You know, the dryer heats up, and luckily it wasn't in the dryer. But Lincoln just sees it that way. In fact, it was about, this is a little sidebar, but months ago, Lincoln, he, he had this chocolate bar, and we've got this dog, Max. Okay, and Max is like this walking identity crisis. He's like a shepherd, he's a bloodhound, he's a cattle dog, he's part husky. And I see Lincoln just holding out this Hershey's bar to Max, 
And Max is coming to him like, okay, I'll have that. And I thought, what is he doing? And, and Lincoln, Lincoln I, I said, no, you don't feed the dog that because dogs can die if they eat chocolate. Okay. Ten minutes later, I go around the corner. You know what I hear? Max, you want to die? You want to die, boy? <laughs> I went, oh. Anyway, that was a sidebar. But this is how Lincoln treats his choices right now. He's six. Hopefully we have time to figure this out, okay? But I would say most of us actually engage that choice of what do I do with my time? What is the wisest decision? What's the highest and best use of my time? The way our middle child, True, engages that choice in the candy, sto candy store, and I know she got this from me, because she stands there, and I've told you about this, she'll look at all those choices and she'll go, because she just wants to choose the best. And if this is the only choice she gets, she wants to know she made the best, best choice. And there's all this emphasis on that decision. And so Lainey, who decided in the first five seconds, is like, True, come on, come on, True, come on. And Lincoln's like through three bars, one bite of three bars. And, and True, he's just going, ah, what do I choose? And I look at that and I go, I get it. I get it because inside every single one of us, Maybe it's not a candy bar. But with our lives, we have moments where maybe you treat it like Lincoln, where you go, oh, I've got more. I've got more time. But a lot of times, what we do is we go, what's the best choice? What is the best choice? And you feel the angst, and you feel all the nerves around that choice. You know what that is? That's that thing in us that we want to we make the best choice. We want to make a mark with our lives. In fact, I don't know every story in here, but I bet every single person in here at some point, you've stepped back and looked at this life you've been given and said, I want to make a mark with my life in this world. And for many of us, we, just, we imagine that one day someone's life will be better because we were here, that an injustice in the world was dealt with, that maybe people were led to a better spot, that the world is a better place, that our family's more stable, our kids have greater opportunities, that somebody would stand on the shoulders of what God did through our lives. And, and what that translates into is that choice thing. We think, I gotta make the right choice, it's about being in the right place at the right time with the right people making the right decisions. Here's the problem. What do you do? What do you do when that goes haywire? Because let me tell you what it was for me. From the age of about six to about 22, you know what my, my thought was? I gotta be a firefighter. I've just got to be a firefighter. That is the highest, best use of my time, and that is how God is gonna use me. And so I'm thinking this, and I'm thinking this, and I'm thinking this for years and years. And finally, I arrived into my, my early 20s, and I tested for a fire department, and it was going well, and it was going well, and it was going well, and then suddenly it stopped. And that dream, it, it, got, it ran into a wall. And this wasn't like, oh, well, Nathan, just keep trying. There was something inside of me that I believe God showed me. And he said, listen, you've been in love with the image of being a firefighter. You wanted to be on the firefighter calendar one day. You wanted to whatever it was. <laughs> that thought never crossed my mind anyway. <laughs> but that's not really the purpose that's deep down inside your heart. That's not really it, Nathan. And, and I was lost. I was absolutely lost for a long time after that. 
because I sat there and I thought, oh my goodness, I, I thought this was the right path and this is the right way and God, can you even still use me? Can you still make a mark with my life? And we question ourselves when those moments come along. And so with that in mind, I actually want us to walk through a psalm this morning. That really is itself, it's a prayer. But at the end of it, I want to, I want to give us a prayer for us to pray that will begin to shape this thinking inside of us. And the reason I want to look at this psalm this morning is because it was written by a person. We associate the psalms with David. This was not written by David, actually. It's the oldest psalm, and it was written by a man who, as you look across his life, he may as well have lived four different lifetimes when you look at all the changes he went through. And there were times he lost control, and there were times that he wandered, and I'm sure there were times that he wondered, and there were times that he just, he just lost it. And he knew he had fallen short in God's eyes. And I have to think, just, just from human experience, I have to think that at some point he wondered, God, can you still do anything with this life? And when you get to the end of his life, because there's a lot we know about him from Scripture, you get to the end of his life, and you know what? Some people's lives were made better, and injustices were dealt with, People were led. The world was a better place for a time. Families were stabilized, and even younger generations had opportunities. They were able to stand on the shoulders of the generation that came before him that this guy led, and that man is Moses. Moses gave us what we know as the oldest psalm in Scripture, in Psalm 90. And so I want us to walk through Psalm 90 this morning, and I have to think that Moses was near the end of his life when he wrote it. There's a lot of speculation about when it was written, but the reason I say that is because as we walk through this psalm, there are a number of realizations that you can tell Moses has come to, and they're not realizations that somebody could stand at a whiteboard and tell you. These are realizations that have been come to through experience. And as I look at this prayer, I go, oh my goodness, here we are, this was centuries upon centuries ago, and yet I can see the human experience, even 2020, in this passage. And so, Psalm chapter 90, if you have your Bibles, open there, otherwise we'll have it up on the screen. But Moses begins to, to open up these realizations as he writes this down, as he's hearing from God. Listen to what he says, verse 1. He says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, this is such cool imagery, before the mountains were born. And what's interesting about this, when he says, you've been our dwelling place throughout generations, Numbers chapter 33, it records 42 different places that the Israelites moved to. After Moses had brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and, and now they're, they're in the wilderness... 42 different places they've moved. And I look at that and I think, man, that is such a picture of how we view our stations in life, isn't it? Because I have to think that at some point, they looked around and they went, well, maybe it's the next place. Maybe the, the place of deliverance. Maybe the place, the promised land, is the next place we get to. Maybe this is it. And yet they continued to wander and they continued to wander and they continued to wander through the desert. But there is this reminder from Moses already. He says, you have been our dwelling place. A lot of times it's not how we think, is it? We think, God, I'm your dwelling place. 
And that's true in terms of a personal relationship with him, but we have to understand he is up to something much bigger than just what's going on in my life. That he's doing something in the lives of every single person in this room. He's doing something in the lives of the people outside these walls. And he's doing something in the lives of people across the globe. But it's easy to, it's easy to forget. It's easy to say to God, God, why don't you get on board with what I'm doing? Rather than, Lord, you are our dwelling place. Let us get on board with what you are up to in the world. And he continues. He says, just to give us this picture of how, how big God is, he says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. And you have to think Moses is speaking from experience because over 40 years he saw generations come and go. He saw an entire generation die in the wilderness. He said, oh, it's a real thing. God brings people back to dust. He says, a thousand years, in verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. And he's getting at something. There's, there's a realization he's getting to that we've got to come to, that he is God and we are not. Think about that for a moment. He is God and we are not. It's easy to forget that. In fact, I was looking at this statement that Moses wrote down, that to you a thousand years go by like a day. Lord, a thousand years pass for you like 24 hours does for us. In fact, because of my, my uh, math brain, I just I started doing the math on this. And I went, man, if you could fit a thousand years into 24 hours, then Lord, how, how long do our lives feel to you? I mean, if the average lifespan is between 80 and 90 years, how long are our lives? You know what that answer is? You know what that math works out to? 122 minutes. God says, your life is, it's like a movie to me. That's how fast a thousand years goes by. Moses says, it goes so fast. This thing that we make such a big deal out of for the Lord, it just flies by. 122 minutes. You know what that means? If you were to take that literally, it would be like for the Lord, the founding of our country, the Declaration of Independence, it was signed under six hours ago to him. That the Civil War, that took place about four hours ago. World War II, a couple hours ago. John Elway played for the Broncos. Cell phones began to make their appearance. This is like at the beginning of service, about half an hour ago. The Land Before Time, remember that movie that there are now 80 of, like the first one? To the Lord, it was about 45 minutes ago. <laughs> Feels like centuries. Anyhow, Moses has realized from lived life experience, he is God, and we are not. Now, if I could see that, I would start to, I would start to zoom out a little bit. And, and that choice that where you're standing in front of the, the candy shelf and you're trying to decide, it begins to take perspective. But Moses keeps going. He says not only that, but in verse 7, he says we're consumed. He says something that uh, doesn't feel so good. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. Yeah, it gets worse. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the, in the light of your presence. 
All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Moses says, when I see God, when you drill down on the years of my life and our lives and, and what feels like minutes and seconds to you, what do you see? What could you focus on? Our sins, our iniquities where we've fallen short. He keeps going in verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. And Moses had moments. This is, it's as though he is having this realization of his own shortcomings in his life. Because there was a time in the wilderness where the Lord said to him, Moses, I know the people need water, and so speak to the rock, and water will pour forth from it. And Moses, there was, there was a lot of griping going on from the people. And in the midst of it, in the midst of it, he struck the rock. Didn't speak to the rock, he struck the rock. And water poured out, but it was a reminder for him as he's looking at this, going, ah, oh, I, I didn't quite live up to what you asked there, God. And Moses says, when he looks at our lives, he could focus on our sins and our iniquities and where we've fallen short. And he, he, he lands this thought at this idea, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great is the fear that is your due. Now, it's kind of a weird sentence, but Moses is getting something there. He's saying, look, if we could remember, if we could actually remember that he is God and we are not, we would, we would give him the reverence. We would give him the proper holy fear that he is due. It's as if Moses is realizing not only is he God and we're not, but it's as if Moses is saying, if I could see your magnitude, God, I would adjust my attitude, God. Isn't that true? We tend, to, we tend to get just so focused and we drill down on and we get so much angst around what we want to have happen and what I'm doing and what I need to avoid in my life and what my schedule looks like and my plans and my to-do list. And Moses says, oh man, if, if we could see your magnitude we would adjust our attitude. I came across this, uh, there was this study compiled by um, a team of researchers and scientists at MIT. And at MIT, what they did is they, they looked across multiple different uh, spheres of life and different facets. So they looked at the arts, and they looked at sciences, and they looked at sports, and they compiled a list of the people who had just achieved the top of the top of the top in their field. And so they had athletes and musicians and movie stars and famous artists. They, they looked at the field of tennis. And, and the number one guy, they, they said the, the person who reached the height of tennis, I mean, we think Roger Federer. If you're a child of the 80s, you go back to Andre Agassi. Um, we think of Steffi Graf. You think of all these names. Three names within the last 40 years appeared on the top 20 of that list that there were people long before our generations that are ahead of those names in the list. Roger Federer is like number 20. And what they did is they compiled this list, and, and what they wanted to look at is how much time passes before these names, who have spent entire lifetimes reaching the pinnacle of their field, how long before they just fade out of the public eye, and they fade out of conversation. 
How long before they're relatively unknown? You know what they came to? After those people die, it'll be about five to 30 years that people will still reference them, talk about them, and then gone. And I think about that, and I go, whoa, and we talked a couple weeks ago. Remember, remember Michael Jordan? Remember the magnitude of the things he was accomplishing? And yet now you've got in LeBron James and others, people that are starting to approach those records. And you go, oh my goodness. I mean, it's been two decades. And so what Moses is doing is he's not trying to make us feel this big. What Moses is trying to do is give us a right perspective of ourselves. And up to now, it's like, oh, I'm like this big and doesn't matter what I choose and what I do with my time. And when you look at what he says next, the answer is absolutely, absolutely. That if I look at my life and if I want to, if I want to make a mark with my life, the key is not emphasis on what I'm up to at all. Here's what Moses has to say. Verse 12. Teach us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, this is not be able to estimate or measure how many days you have left. This is an emphasis on living as though our time is limited. The reminder that our lives end, that our days are numbered, and you're like, Nathan, this is so encouraging. I'm so glad I came to church this morning. But he's going somewhere with this. Because isn't it true when there's just a little bit of time left, it becomes very clear what we need to do? You get to the two-minute warning in a football game, and what happens? Strategy changes, doesn't it? When you set a deadline and you're coming up on the deadline, you know, two weeks out, it's like, eh, we got time. One week out, we got time. Night before, it's very clear what you need to spend your time doing, isn't it? There's a, there's a um, nurse a palliative care nurse in Australia. Her name is Bronnie, Bronnie, I'm trying to wrote this down, Bronnie Ware. Bronnie Ware was a palliative care nurse and is in Australia. And one of the things that she, she penned an article entitled The Five Regrets of the Dying because she spent a lot of her time in the final 12 weeks of most people's lives. And she wrote this article that now became a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And her whole emphasis, I'm not going to read all, the, all those top five regrets, but her whole emphasis is that when limited time is left, we gain clarity about what we're supposed to be up to and how we're supposed to live. And now you hear that, and you think, oh, no, it's, I, I need to run out the door, and I, it's what we said at the beginning. I need to make the right choice, find the right people, get into the right situation, have the right circumstances, make the right decisions, but Moses doesn't go there next. Moses, yes, he stops here and he says, look, when you can see the brevity of your being compared to the enormity of God's being, you will gain clarity to your doing. But while we would run out the door and say, oh, I've just got to live better and I've got to make perfect decisions, that's not where Moses goes. Moses takes a different route. Verse 13, he says, relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. 
May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Do you notice he didn't say satisfy us in the morning with our incredible performance, with our magnificent achievements, with our perfect track record? What did he say? With your unfailing love. And this is where we started to touch on this last week, but this is where now in 2020, at this point in the timeline of eternity, we live in a better spot than Moses did. In fact, we live in a better spot than anybody in the Old Testament lived in when we read those scriptures. Because we live on this side of the cross. See, for them, the cross hadn't happened yet. And so Moses, this prayer was, Lord, show me something. Show me, show me that you're not angry. Show me that you do have this unfailing love for me. And they were looking and constantly looking for, Lord, what are you doing? Show me, show me, show me. That's not our situation. Because we live on this side of the cross. That if all else fails, if, if nothing else happened in our lives, you know what we would have? The cross. You and I would be able to look at the cross and know that he is compassionate. That this God who could, as he drills down into what really to him are the minutes and the seconds of our lives, he could focus on our iniquities and where we've fallen short and where we've messed up, but he doesn't. He sees his son. He sees the cross. And Moses is having a realization here. And this was before the cross ever even showed up. But Moses, in his interaction with God, has realized not only is he God and we're not, not only if I could see his magnitude, I would adjust my attitude, but it's this, that our days are numbered, our days are limited, but our value is not. Let me tell you how this plays out for me. And if you were here that last Sunday of this last year where we did this year in review, you got to hear about this. But let me tell you where I land every single week during this hour, okay? It's in those seats right over there. And I shared that morning that honestly the most terrifying three minutes of every single week are about 10.22 to 10.25 on Sunday morning because it's right before I get up here. And here's what happens. I walk over there. And I see, you know, I'll see Mike, and I'll see Nathan and Angie, and I'll see my wife over there, and Nathan and Alicia, and I, I'm waving, and I'm saying good morning, but here's what's happening inside. <sighs> and here's what's going on. I'm thinking, I'm going to say something wrong, and I'm going to offend somebody, and I'm going to get punched in the face after service, and, you know, people are going to get mad, or they're going to leave, and they're not going to come back. And just being transparent, there's an element of that that still happens. Have you been to a Nuggets game? If you've been to a Nuggets game, there's this announcer that, I mean, he's the perfect announcer voice, okay? But there's this announcer who, if I could cast the voice of God in a production, it would be this guy. Because I don't think he says much the entire game until there's about two minutes left in the half or in the game. And suddenly you hear, two minutes remaining, two minutes remaining. And that's what's happening inside me right there. I hear this voice that says, two minutes remaining. And... And so I'm waving, and I'm going, hey, you know, and I'm, and I'm focused on the floor, like, where's, where's the throw-up going to land? And uh, don't get it on anybody, but there's a reason I sit right there. Because when I can get my eyes off the floor of where that throw-up might land, 
and I can get my eyes off of myself, there's a cross. And the reason I sit right there is because I very much need that object lesson every single Sunday. And I got to be honest, it's something we need every single, not just Sunday, every day. That is, we have got to get positioned to be in view of his mercy upon us at the cross, his wrath upon our sin at the cross, his mercy upon our lives at the cross. That is, we've got to preach ourselves the gospel every single day of our lives. You want to know a really wise way to live your time? Is this realization that Moses has come to. That our days are limited, but our value is not to him. It's not. And with all that in mind, and from that place, that's where Moses lands this psalm with one verse left. Verse 17, he says, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That is, there's something bigger to my life, and there's something bigger to your life than the time boundaries that you've got. There's something bigger to our lives than any song we could orchestrate, any script we could write, anything we could manufacture. There's something bigger than our preferences, bigger than our plans, bigger than our circumstances, in all of it. It's as though there's a bigger hand that's at work through our hands. And so he says, Lord, establish the work of our hands, because when I look at my life, it's like this much. It's this much, and I could make this about my activity. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. I could make it about me, but, but somehow that's too, it's just too small. It's too small of a mark to leave on the world. And so there's a prayer. There's a prayer that as I read this prayer, I've written down, and, and I've prayed at various times in my life, but it's simply this. May the mark of my days be the work of your hands. Lord, may the mark of my days be the work of your hands. That when it's all said and done, when my time here on earth is over, Lord, I want your mark to be made, not mine, because my plans are just too small. Now, when you begin praying this prayer, a few things will happen to you, and I want, to, I want you to write down three words or put them in your phone. <clears throat> These three words, surrendered, vigilant, and grateful. Surrendered, vigilant, and grateful. This prayer, what it will do in even just reading this passage, you know what it does? It causes you to start to do this with the things in your life, that I begin to loosen my grip on the circumstances and that thing in us that overemphasizes em or underemphasizes my human activity, and it puts it in right perspective. It reminds us that God is not somehow more elevated by our successes or more limited by our failures. That we can look at every single day and we can know he's using it. He's using it. We can be surrendered. I mean, I think about Martin Luther King Jr. As, and I know he's collectively on our minds, especially this time on the calendar. 
But I think about Martin Luther King, and I think about a guy like Abraham Lincoln. And what's so interesting to me is you, you, we, we see footage and we hear recordings of that, I have a dream speech. And you can imagine being there, and I imagine it was powerful to hear, but it has only gotten more powerful as time has gone on. And long beyond the boundaries of Dr. King's time here on earth, those words continue to amplify in our nation, and they continue to be relevant to our nation and to our world. But you know what? He couldn't possibly have seen the magnitude of that the day he was given that speech. Abraham Lincoln, there, there's a story that he was supposed to be like the, he was the backup speaker that day. The Gettysburg Address was really not even that long. And yet we recite it, students learn it, and the magnitude of it just grows and grows and grows. And so that should liberate all of us from having to control everything and say, God, it's got to look like this, and I've got to be a firefighter, and I've got to be in the right place at the right time, making the right decisions. And God says, no, 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 just surrender. Surrender to me so I can make my mark through your life. Second word, vigilant. Vigilant. This should give us absolute clarity on what is central and what is peripheral in our lives. And, and it's not a, manner, a matter of doing the different things. A lot of times it's walking through the same things but in a different way. That I can begin to see things differently. I can begin to see how rich the opportunities of what God wants to do are. As I walk through every single day, I realize every moment is ripe with God in the midst of it, that he can do something with it. I flashed back to high school. I remember this classmate of ours, freshman year, you know, you, you all start together. In freshman year, he, uh, he decided he didn't feel like going to class a couple times, and, and so he skipped, and you imagine that put him behind in his work, and, and then soon he began to just neglect the assignments, and this happened throughout high school. And his, his attitude really shifted from, well, I'm behind, to, why try? You know, it's the candy bar, take a bite. There's more. There's more time. And I'll never forget, it was a week before graduation, our senior year. And as our entire class went into the gym for this class day assembly, where we're giving out class awards and all that stuff, as everybody was walking into the gym, this line of our senior class, here's this guy. And he's standing there because he, he's been given the news he's not going to graduate. And there are tears coming down his face. Now, you can, you can bounce back from that if that was high school. But I don't know anybody in here who wants to do that with your life. And so we surrender. We can let go of control. But at the same time, this passage, this prayer of Moses, it ought to make us so vigilant and so watchful for every single opportunity that's rich, it's lavish with what God wants to do. Finally, grateful. You know, I, I've always felt bad for Moses because I, I look at this guy, Moses, who in his younger years, he had this sense of destiny and he was going to be this like deliverer. But what happened was he had to, he had to learn the hard way, that it wasn't going to look his way. It was going to look God's way. And he had his ups and downs, and he struck the rock, and in fact, in reference to that episode, and some of the attitudes that Moses took, you know what, the Lord, when they finally arrived, when they finally arrived at the entrance to the promised land, God said, no, 
Moses, you're not going in. And I've always thought, oh, Moses, what was that like for you? I mean, you put up with griping. You put up with complaining. Look at all the stuff you've gone through. It was the desert for 40 years. And not only that, when you look at a map, they probably could have gotten to the promised land in a few months, but they had to wander because that's what God needed to do in order to form them. And they arrive at the promised land, and Moses, who'd led them and had all this patience, well, most of the time, God said, no, not going to go in. And, and I just, I think about that, and I agonize. You know what? I don't, I don't think Moses did. And the reason I think that is because at the end of Deuteronomy, there's this really interesting sentence. It says, Moses surveyed the land, the promised land that the people would enter, and then he died. And there's this sentence, there's this verse in there that says, when he died, his eyes were not dimmed, nor his strength diminished. You want to know why? Because Moses understood. I surrender, and I'm vigilant, but I'm grateful because I only have this much time. We only have this much time, and so we ought to count ourselves blessed that he created us, that he formed us, that he saw us, and that he used us. Now, when I stand back from all that, you know what I realize? <laughs> Moses just did us a favor. Because what Moses just did is he fast-forwarded every single one of us to the end of our lives and gave us a picture of what it could look like and what finishing well could look like one day, regardless of how much actual time we've got left. That somehow Moses stood there and he looked out over the promised land, and I, I have to wonder if he thought, man, Lord, it wasn't my plan, but it was better. That somehow my mark was too small to give my entire life to. That's what I think might have run through Moses' mind. That at the end of my life, Nathan, it wasn't about being a firefighter. It really wasn't even about Nathan. I know people are going to think back and go, great head of hair, tall, dark, and handsome. And, and it's not going to be any of that. It's going to be, what did the Lord do through my life? And so you pray this prayer. You surrender in all your ways. You be vigilant to what he's up to. And you be grateful for the days he's given us. And so as the worship team comes up, can I close us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you that you are a God who you looked at us and across the timeline of eternity, we're exactly what Moses said. We're like grass that springs up in the morning and by evening it's withered. And yet you saw fit when you could stare at how we've fallen short, your unfailing love, you gave us the cross. And in doing so, you redeemed us to the purpose you created us with that you had in mind before our physical time on this earth ever came about. And so this morning, as we close, as we walk forward into our days, remind us, Lord, right on our hearts, not just on Sunday, but every single moment, that the mark of our days, the mark of our days, the highest use of our time is to pray that the mark of our days would be the work of your hands. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.